From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kolas. This is 7am. As Scott Morrison celebrates Timor-Leste's independence, tension over the Witness K case continues to undermine the relationship. At the same time, Canberra is standing up to Beijing over the imprisonment of Chinese-Australian writer Yang Henjun. Paul Bongiorno on the political calculus that separates the two. Paul, let's get right into it. Scott Morrison is in Timor-Leste today. He's there to celebrate. Yes, he is. Uh, The East Timorese are celebrating the fact that 20 years ago they uh, braved the glare of the occupying Indonesian army to vote in a referendum to separate from Indonesia. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper. 78% of the population turned up, many waiting hours in the full blaze of the sun to record that vote. So among the guests of honour attending today, besides the Australian Prime Minister Morrison, is former Prime Minister John Howard, who played a key role in convincing President Habibi of Indonesia that Timor-Leste should be given autonomy. And also on board will be the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese. He arrived today with the Prime Minister. And the Prime Minister's presence, of course, brings with it some tension. Yeah, that's true. Despite the celebrations, Australia has a strained history with this country going all the way back, in fact, to 1975, when Australia condoned the occupation of East Timor by the Indonesians. But there's a more recent strain, if I can put it that way, at play here. Former president and independence champion, Jorge Ramos-Horta, has said the celebrations will have a bitter taste if Witness K and Bernard Collieri are not free. Witness K, a former Australian spy and whistleblower, along with the lawyer Bernard Collieri, are being prosecuted for revealing the 2004 bugging of the Dili government during crucial commercial negotiations with the Australian government over oil and gas rights, rights that would depend on where you put the maritime boundary between Timor-Leste and Australia. Former President Janana Guzmao gave an interview to the ABC Four Corners program on Monday saying he would like to see the prosecution dropped immediately of these two men. He said he would come to Canberra to testify and embarrass the Australian government if the court case goes ahead. And is that evidence that the Australian government may not want to hear in court? Maybe. So are you saying some secrets that may embarrass previous governments? Um, I believe so. And how was that bugging of the officers of the Timorese government? How was it used? Well, that bugging gave the Australian negotiators the upper hand and resulted in the drawing of a boundary that gave Australia a 50% share of the resources estimated to be worth upwards of $50 billion. Even though the gas and oil was only 150 kilometres from Timor-Leste, where it was 400 kilometres from Australia's shore. The people who did the fraud, the illegal fraud, the spying, the low-down action against Timor, they've got away with it. They're not being charged with anything, and they should be. And here we have two truth-tellers who are now being charged. And, Paul, how is the Four Corners episode 
received in Canberra? Well, um... Interestingly, it was received in a very muted way. The opposition believes that the court case should be dropped, but it certainly didn't jump up and down and demand it. And the Attorney General, Christian Porter, said, don't look at me, it was the advice I received from the public prosecutor. The push comes from the context of the Australian government becoming increasingly paranoid and intolerant of issues relating to what they see as national security. It's clear that the Australian Signals Directorate wants to send a firm message that if anyone freelances, even for a good cause, if one of our spies thinks we're doing something that is immoral, it doesn't matter, we will fiercely prosecute them. And Paul, what were the implications of the leak by Witness K? Well, what the leak did and knowledge of the bugging did, it gave Timor-Leste very strong grounds to go to the International Court of Justice in The Hague. So as a result of that, a new negotiation took place. The border was drawn in a different place and Timor-Leste has ended up with 70% of the resources and Australia 30%. That new agreement uh, will be signed today in Dili. What about for Witness K and Bernard Kaliri? Now they're facing basically criminal prosecution. Well, 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 well that's exactly right. Um, one would hope and imagine that Witness K in this uh, situation is a whistleblower. That is someone who is a loyal Australian citizen blowing the whistle on wrongdoing. And Bernard Kaliri is a lawyer who is defending his uh, right to do so before the court. But they've both been prosecuted for breaching Australia's secrecy and they face a jail term if they're found guilty. Paul, before it got to Christian Porter, this prosecution had come across the desk of other Attorneys General, hadn't it? Well, former Attorney General George Brandis refused to sign off on it. Brandis, of course, was very embarrassed. Australia was embarrassed before the International Court because the court found that while Calarian Witness K were due to go to The Hague to give evidence, police were sent in to raid Caleri's home and office and to raid Witness K. Witness K had his passport confiscated and Caleri's client lawyer documents were seized. The Hague found this to be simply outrageous and ordered the Australian police not to access the documents that they had taken. So Attorney General Brandis, after this international embarrassment that Australia was here acting like a tin pot dictatorship, well, he sat on the advice he was receiving from the prosecutor and from our spook agencies, and he didn't sign off. People close to Brandis say he refused to sign off. The current Attorney-General says, well, he didn't get around to getting all the uh, new advice that he was seeking. One of Australia's most eminent counsels, Brett Walker SC, says usually, traditionally, it's simply not in the public interest to prosecute this sort of thing. Porter's record in defending freedoms and transparency, I've got to say, is looking very tawdry. We'll be right back. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. 
Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Paul, the other big diplomatic story this week was the formal arrest in China of the Australian-Chinese dual citizen Dr Yang Hengjun. Yes, Yang Hengjun was a Chinese diplomat for a while. He moved to Australia almost 20 years ago and was granted citizenship uh, here. He's also a prolific blogger with millions of followers ethnic Chinese around the world, but also in China itself. And he's also a writer of spy novels. This, of course, has got him into some trouble because the plots of the novels the Chinese government believe come directly from his experience as a Chinese diplomat. He's also and has been an advocate for democratic reform. Now, his history with the Chinese government is complex. He went missing for two days in China in 2011, thought to have been arrested. More recently, he was detained after flying from New York to Guangzhou in January. He's also been held largely in solitary confinement by the Chinese authorities for the last seven months. Authorities announced this week that he'd be charged on suspicion of espionage. It's a charge that could potentially attract the death penalty. Well, Foreign Minister Maurice Payne put out a strongly worded statement raising her concerns over the treatment of Dr Yang. In fact, it is clear that Payne's statement and the strength of it comes because the people arguing for Dr Yang believe that this is the only way he'll be released. Payne says there's no evidence that Yang has ever spied on behalf of Australia. We are uh, seeking uh, for Dr Yang's detention, obviously, for him to be released in the first instance, particularly if he's only being held for his political beliefs. Uh, But most importantly, that if he is to be detained, that he is detained in accordance with uh, the expectations accorded to him through conventions and international law. Payne is aware that Yang was kept in what's called a black detention site known as residential surveillance, where prisoners are kept on constant watch, a guard in the room under bright lights, and they're subject to continuous interrogation, a form of brainwashing. She drew attention to international human rights law, pointing out those provisions that prohibit torture and inhumane treatment, guard against arbitrary detention, and that the uh, international law protects the right of freedom of thought, conscience and religion. And we've been at pains to say that he should be afforded access to his lawyers, uh, that he should be uh, afforded uh, the opportunity to communicate with his family. Uh, They are uh, reasonably basic entitlements and uh, we would seek to prosecute that case. In January, soon after the arrest, the chair of the Parliamentary Intelligence Committee, Andrew Hastie, took up the case in very forceful terms. He said it was possible Yang's arbitrary detention was designed to deter members of the Australian-Chinese diaspora from talking openly and honestly about political questions near to their hearts. He said it's also possible this was an act of Chinese statecraft designed to serve Chinese interests in a larger geopolitical landscape. What is it do you think China is doing here with Dr Yang? 
Well, look, the suspicion is that China's engaging in, in what's called hostage diplomacy. China's under siege from Donald Trump in the trade war and angry at feeling targeted by Australia's foreign interference laws. It's now using Yang as leverage in the relationship. Beijing is sending a message or maybe several messages. Australia's support for peaceful protests for democracy in Hong Kong no doubt is seen as an attempted undermining by us of the mainland's peace and stability as well. It's further evidence that Australia is still in the diplomatic deep freeze. And did Maurice Payne express a view on that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's clear that um, the foreign minister is on a very sticky wicket At a press conference Wednesday morning, Payne said that the government had no reason to think that Yang's arrest is a retaliation from Beijing or connected to other issues. But we do know last year two Canadians were detained in a move that many saw as retribution for the arrest of a Huawei senior executive in Canada. Other than raising this case publicly, as Payne has done this week, Do we know what the foreign minister has done behind closed doors? Yes, interestingly, Maurice Payne in her statement revealed that she's twice personally, face-to-face, raised Dr Yang's plight with her counterpart, the Chinese foreign minister, Wang Yi. Well, (laughs) the Chinese foreign ministry replied with a very blunt statement to Payne. Indeed, it was just as blunt as Payne's was to it. It said, and I quote, China is strongly dissatisfied with Australia's statement on this case and would like to stress that China is a country with a rule of law and Australia should earnestly respect China's judicial sovereignty and not interfere in China's handling of the case in accordance with the law in any way. And what about the Prime Minister? Has he said much on the case and has he commented on the potential for it to affect the relationship with China? Morrison, of course, was a guest at the G7 meeting in Biarritz. He has tried very hard to be even-handed, for example, in talking about the trade war between China and the United States. He did say that there are real issues here, but he said, well, while America's got issues with China, China's got issues with America. Will Australia do as requested by Beijing and butt out? We'll stand up for our citizen and we'll we'll expect him to be treated uh, appropriately and and his human rights to be respected. Um, There's their own justice process that they'll follow in China and that's appropriate. Uh, But these suggestions that he's acted uh, as as, as a spy for Australia are absolutely untrue. And uh, and we'll be be protecting and seeking to support our citizen as we have been doing now for some period of time. We make no apologies for standing up for one of our citizens. But there is tension in the government over how these sorts of matters are handled. for example, you had Michael McCormack as acting Prime Minister out on Tuesday. Well, yeah, I mean, McCormack played the dumb country yokel, really. He said, uh, well, he didn't know a great deal about the case. Are you disappointed, though, with how China has handled this situation? Well, look, uh, it's not for me to uh, to say I'm disappointed or not. Uh, the fact is, uh, it's, hap- it, it's happened. Uh, there are protocols in place and, they, and processes in place. And you have concern for the treatment of this man. Has he been tortured? I'm not sure. I don't know. You I, don't I, I can't comment. Well, I, well, I can't comment. I, I can't comment because I don't know. He concluded the doorstop by saying, "We need our strong relationships and link with China." So, uh, Deputy Prime Minister McCormick sure has his eye firmly on our uh, trade with China. Not surprising, given that the nationals are particularly close to Australia's resource sector. But tone deaf when human rights are, you know, obviously threatened in this case. 
Yeah, well, as we've said before, Elizabeth, a buck is a buck, and you don't want to let too much get in the way of uh, making one. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. For longtime editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very if that's, pro-therapy. On yeah, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Elsewhere in the news, on Thursday, Attorney General Christian Porter released a draft of the government's proposed religious discrimination laws, following what he described as a necessary and difficult balancing exercise. The draft bill would make it illegal to discriminate against an individual on the basis of religion, but it would not go as far as some religious leaders had hoped in that it would not enshrine a broader right to freedom of religion. In a nod to the circumstances surrounding Israel Folau's case against Rugby Australia, employers would not be able to restrict their staff from expressing religious beliefs outside of work unless it could prove that doing so would materially impact their business. The draft did not include mention of whether religious schools would maintain the right to expel students or dismiss staff on grounds of their sexuality. Porter will continue to consult MPs and community groups before legislation is introduced to Parliament, which is likely to happen in October. It takes a team to make 7am. Those people are Emile Klein, Ruby Schwartz and Atticus Basto. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. Please consider subscribing to the show through your favourite podcast app if you haven't already or leave us a review if you listen on iTunes or on Stitcher. It's a huge help to us. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you next week. <laughs>